Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a good and gracious and holy God. Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed our compass, our center. Uh, Lord, now I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would um, continue to work in our hearts and minds. God, that you would open our eyes to see you. Uh, God, that you would open our ears to hear your good news. God, that you would open our hearts to receive uh, this gospel. Lord, that you would uh, chop us up on the inside to repentance. God, convict us of sin, convict us of our idols, convict us of our of our failures. And Lord, may we in that not despair or find guilt and shame and fear, but rather cling to you as the source of our strength and our life, knowing that you are a gracious and loving Father, uh, rescuing your children. God, that you are a loving, gracious Husband, coming to uh, lavish your love and grace upon your bride. Uh, so, Lord, now I pray as we continue in worshiping together, as we open your word, that your Holy Spirit uh, will give us understanding as you've inspired the scriptures. Uh, God, that you would indeed uh, open our hearts and minds to understand and apply through our lives today. God, we ask this uh, for, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Friends in Christ, uh, we are a new people. We have a new way of living. We have new motivations, new hope. And this changes everything for us. We are free from the sin and guilt and fear of our past and free to a living and new hope. And this comes from the work of Christ on our behalf, giving us a new heart, a new mind, a new identity. And so today, as we continue in the book of Hebrews, as we've done for uh, several months now, I want to start by asking uh, this question Where do you find your confidence? Where do you find your confidence? Both your eternal confidence of, okay, when I die, I am confident that I will go to heaven to be with God, or I am confident that uh, after this life is over, I can be confident that my life was lived well because of X, Y, and Z. Or where do you find your confidence, both eternally, but also for the here and now? How do you live with confidence, saying, I know I am living the best life I can live. I know I'm doing the best that I can. I know I'm finding success and joy and fulfillment in all these areas. So where do you find your confidence? How do you define confidence? Because how we live this life here and now displays what we believe about eternity. How we live our lives from day to day, here and now, displays what we really believe about our God. 
what we really believe about Jesus and what we really understand the gospel to be. So where is your confidence and how do you define your confidence for eternity and in the present? Often we look to our um, identity or our resume. We look at the roles we play in people's lives and we look at maybe the the things we are doing as our uh, source of confidence. It could be your work. It could be your family. It could be your heritage, your tradition, all of which are very good things. But I submit to you that the way we live our lives and confidence is not uh, is not anchored in those things, but rather God puts us in those things to display where our confidence truly lies. So if you're here today and you're saying, well, I find my confidence in my identity as, uh, as a husband and a father and an owner of a business, that's great. If your confidence is in those things only, what happens if something happens to your family? Or if something happens to your business and your confidence is shaken. But rather, uh, what I'm getting at today to live a life of gospel confidence is to see that our confidence is anchored in the person and work of Jesus and the truth of the gospel of God. And that our roles that we play in this life as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, as business owners, as students, all of those things display gospel confidence in Christ. You with me? That's where we're going today. So as we look at Hebrews uh, chapter 10, we see that the writer is addressing Christians uh, in the first century, Christians who were entrenched in a uh, pagan culture uh, and and, uh, in the the thick of the Roman Empire. We we see that there is um, a strong religious tradition, both in the in the Jewish culture, which is which is good. And we see there's a strong religious uh, tradition of of pagan culture uh, within the world at that time, and the writer of Hebrews is addressing Christians who are experiencing persecution, addressing Christians who are wrestling with, do we, do we forget moving forward with this Christian thing, or, or do we go back to our roots as, as uh, Jewish folks, or do we, do we just disregard this because maybe uh, there were pagans before and said, how does this jive with our pagan culture that, that makes more sense to us right now? And so the writer of Hebrews is addressing this, saying, look, we, we find our confidence in Christ, who he is, what he's done. We don't find our confidence in the, the political system of the Roman Empire. We don't find our confidence in the great heritage and tradition of our past, which is good, but our confidence is in Christ. That's what all of that was pointing to. We don't find our confidence in our our cool, hip, pagan culture that we're living in as as a first century Christian here. We, We find our confidence in Christ, and that shapes how we live life. And today's text that we see is that Jesus gives us confidence in his gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news is meant to be heard. It's meant to be proclaimed. It's meant to to shape how you live life. You don't hear good news about something and then just disregard it. You hear good news and you act on it. Good news that, hey, hey, good news, a baby was born. Let's go see the baby. Good news, you got a raise. Let's do something with that money. Good news, we can go on vacation. Let's pack our stuff. Anytime you hear any kind of good news, you respond to it. And in the same way, the good news of Christ. The gospel is that God is rescuing his people. God is loving his people and shaping them to be who he initially had created them to be, but the brokenness of this world has marred us and gotten us off course. And so today we look that we see that this gospel gives us confidence with how we live life. We are confident in the gospel of Christ. 
And this is expressed in how we live life. And as a way to help us, I'm going to say that the gospel confidence is expressed upward, onward, and outward. What I mean by that is our confidence in the gospel of Christ is expressed upward to God in worship, reflecting our identity to him is expressed onward with how we live life day to day through obedient living and and through our motivations of what we do from day to day from here into eternity. And it's expressed outward with how we uh, how we relate to other Christians, how we relate to non-Christians, how this gospel confidence shapes all of our relationships, because you're not the only person on the earth. Okay. So here's where we're going. We're going to start with this. First, we see that gospel confidence is expressed upward with a new identity in worshiping our God. We see, let's look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have been, excuse me, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Well, there's so much in this text that we see is that the writer, first he says, brothers. All right, that's not for men only. That, that, that the word used there, it means brothers and sisters. It means, hey, siblings, hey, part, family. So the writer is saying, hey, family of God, brothers, sisters, together we have this new identity as a family. It doesn't matter if we're blood-related. It doesn't matter if our paths are totally different. Even in this room, we have so many differences. Some of you are from this city, like me. Woohoo! Some of you are from the West Coast. Some of you are from different countries. Some of you come from a background of great religious tradition. Others come from a tradition that are from a family who maybe didn't have that much spirituality at all. Some of you may be white collar. Some are blue collar. Some are students. Some are grandparents. We all have different backgrounds. God has brought us here together. We are not defined by our sameness. We are defined by our identity in God. God has called us to be brothers and sisters. And that's good news. And it's a huge identity, and the, and the author unpacks it here. He says, therefore, brothers, sisters, family, goes on to say, hey, we have confidence. We have confidence by this new and living way that is open for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Paul writes in Corinthians that we are God's house, that we are God's temple, that we are the dwelling place of God. So we together, brothers and sisters, have a new identity as being God's people, his family, his house, us together. And that is good news for us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, the identity we express together, this this gospel confidence is expressed upward together. We have this new identity together as God's people, his family, his house, and that's expressed upward in the way we live life in worship. Okay, we have a new and living way, the author says. And, and what I love about this is, is, is if you were here last week, all of this is, you know, it's hard to, to break Hebrews down into like a 10-month series because, because the writer wrote this like it, it's a... You know, it's, it's part letter and it's part like, you know, homily, so to speak. It's part like, hey, this is a letter that he's sending to the church uh, to read, but it's also part, it would have been read in like one sitting. 
And so we won't have time for that today. But if we were in the first century and all of a sudden we get this letter from the author uh, that we attribute, it says, to the Hebrews, right? So we would have all sat down together. We would have gotten together, got some food, and said, hey, let me read this letter. It's such good news. And we would have read the whole thing out loud. And so it's hard to, when we kind of break it up into pieces, but if you were here last week, the beginning of chapter 10, we see the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice once and for all, right? We see that, that because of the person and work of Jesus, we have this new identity in verse 14 of chapter 10 says, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we see that this sanctification is positional and progressive. We talked about this last week, that, that you are set apart as a holy object of holy use. You have been set apart as an object of God's possession and of God's uh, it's an object of value and worth. That's what that means to be uh, has been perfected. It has been done for you. Have positionally identified as an object of worth and value to be treasured by God. And also you uh, are being sanctified, which is an ongoing becoming more and more holy. So that's part of our identity. And and then the writer goes on to to, to quote Jeremiah from the prophets. That this is a covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And so as we get in today's passage, we see that that's exactly what's going on there. God has promised through the prophet Jeremiah that his laws will be written on his people's minds and on their hearts, that they would have this new identity together. And then he goes on to say that in today's passages, or today's verses in verse 22, that we can draw near with a true heart, with a full assurance of faith, that our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, right? So there's this continuance of, hey, everything God promised to the prophet Jeremiah, that his people would have their hearts, or their, their minds would have the law of God, and the hearts uh, would have that good news impressed upon them. And the writer continues to say that today. And so we see that to have a life of gospel confidence is one that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he would do, that he is fulfilling what he promised to the prophet Jeremiah, and that he is doing that in Christ or through Christ for you and I today, that we as brothers and sisters, that we as the house of God, that we together have a character change, an identity change, and this makes us uh, together be gathered with, a, with an upward identity that is not about me, only. It's not about you only. It is about us together looking upward to our Father because we are brothers and sisters looking upwards to God because we are His house. And He is changing us and shaping us day after day to be that because He has set us apart for that purpose. And that is really good news for us. And so we see that confidence in the gospel, to live a life of gospel confidence is not based on who we are and what we've done, but who He is and what He's done for us. So verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, confidence is something you have in Christ. It's not something you can achieve. It's not something you earn. It's not something you just kind of pick up along the way. It's something you have it. And that's important. So when we look at living a life of gospel confidence, we see that it's an upward identity because in Christ, we have it. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart for holy purposes. We have been perfected because of the work of Jesus. You with me? So you you have confidence. Have it. And it's good news for us. So 
As we think about this, to live a life of gospel confidence, it's something that you have because it's an upward identity we have toward God together. So we have it. You don't have to get it. You don't have to work for it. It's yours. We have it. So what does that mean for you and I today? How does that change how we live from day to day? I want to ask you this. If you find your confidence in anything else, you need to repent. That means to turn away from that thing and turn to God. That means to turn away from sin and embrace forgiveness in Christ. It also means to turn your heart's ultimate affection towards something that could be good and make your ultimate affection toward Christ while operating in that good thing, if that makes sense. I'll give you an example. Work is a good thing. You should work. You should work well. You should do your best at work. I hope that you find joy in the work that you do. I hope that you make money. I hope that you get a raise. I hope that you get a promotion. I hope that if you start off in one area of a company that you like, that 30 years from now you will be in a bigger position in that company. There's nothing wrong with that. God has placed you there for a purpose. But if your ultimate identity is in your job, what happens when the company closes? Your world is wrecked. What happens if you get fired? Your world is destroyed. What happens if you get a demotion and a pay cut? Everything shakes a little bit, right? What happens if your ultimate identity is getting married as a single person? You pursue that. It's, marriage is such a good thing. It's an institution of the Lord. And I hope and pray that all of you who are single will pursue marriage. It's a godly thing. But if your ultimate goal is to get married, what happens if you don't get married? I mean, you may not. It may be 10 years from now. It may not, it may not be ever. And so we find our confidence wrecked in that. If we put our confidence in our, uh, our roles or if we put our confidence in our ability to do something, what happens if you say, I'm going to keep a perfect track record. I'm going to have a perfect, uh, you know, perfect attendance at school. I'm going to have a perfect, you know, whatever you deem being a perfect life. I'm going to just have perfect morals. I'll never say a cuss word. I'm never going to watch an R-rated movie. Well, guess what happens if you drop the F-bomb? Your whole world is destroyed. I can't believe I said that. Oh, i got to start over at square one. Well, here's the good news. Confidence is something you have, so therefore it's not something you need to lose. Your identity in God is something Christ secured for you. It's not something you secured. It's not yours to get, so it's not yours to lose. It's something that's given to you for you to have. It is, it is a gift. So like, on your birthday, if somebody gives you a gift, you didn't earn the gift. They just gave it to you. So you have it now. Huh? Eloquence. <laughs> Does that make sense? You with me? So we have confidence in our new identity that is upward together toward God. Okay, second point I want us to know is this. Is, is gospel confidence is something that's onward. It's an ongoing thing that you express. Now, we can't get the cart before the horse because what I want to do here, uh, we talked about this, was this last week or the week before about the, the legalists and the licentious folks, the folks that say you have to do, 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 do this so that God will love you. And the other folks that say grace, whatever, you don't have to do anything. Well, Neither one of, with the parade, you remember the parade down the middle is where God wants us to be, where we say, hey, look, we do stuff, but we do stuff because of our identity, right? We obey because we are loved, because we are accepted, because we are God's people. We don't try to do better and try harder and live a perfect moral life so that God will love me. Well, here's the good news is God loves you even though you blow it every day. Now, because he loves you, 
Let's live a different way. The writer says it's a new and living way. It's a new way that we operate day to day. All right, so we have an onward, hopeful obedience. Listen to this in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, man, I love these set of verses. You have to transport yourself back into the first century. Imagine somebody coming from the Jewish tradition used to having year after year sacrifices offered on the on behalf of your village, right? You you have a priest that goes up to the temple and says, This sacrifice is for the sins of these people, and the priest does it, and the next year he comes back and does the same thing over and over and over because the people keep sinning and sinning and sinning. Well, we looked a couple weeks ago that Jesus once for all is the priest priest that goes and once for all is the sacrifice. So we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because Jesus was a perfect priest on our behalf and was a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So once and for all, our sins are dealt with out of the way. And so that's why this imagery here is about, you know, there was a a curtain in the temple that separated the, the, the holy place where God was and the place where wretched, dirty people were coming to make sacrifices. And so, you know, for the symbolism of the curtain to be opened up is a symbolism of the barrier between God and man being opened up. And that's the author is saying, hey, that happened once and for all through Jesus, through his flesh, through his perfect life, through his death. There is now no longer a barrier between God and man. And that's good news. What does that mean for us? We have the new identity. We have this new confidence that we have. So what do we do with what we have? Are you got it? Now what? You just look at it. It's great. I got confidence. Now what? We move onward with gospel confidence. We have hopeful obedience. The scripture says here that we are to draw near, to draw near, to, to get close. It's something you do, right? And so, so if you have confidence, it's a, it's a gift that's been given to you. You don't have your confidence and say, I got my confidence. Holla. And, and you leave. You say, I have confidence, so what I can do with this good news, have confidence in who God is, I have confidence in in what he's done for me. I have confidence that I am loved. I am accepted. I have a new heart. I have a clean conscience. I have a, a, a purified body. Like before God, I near not I need not fear judgment. I I need not fear abandonment. I need not fear rejection. I don't have to fear I don't have to feel guilt and shame about my dirty past. I don't have to feel guilt and shame about what I did or what I thought or, you know, who I messed up with or who I messed up to. I can approach God because I have confidence because he gave that to me. And if he gave it to me, I know it's good. And so what do you do with it? You draw near. You get close. You you approach God. You get closer. It's an action that you do. It's something that we do together. That's what I like about this. It says, you know, verse 22, let us draw near. You don't draw near to God by yourself. You do it with other people. Some who have done worse things than you. Some who have a better track record than you. Doesn't matter. 
Because before the Lord, our confidence is not in who we are and what we've done, but who He is. So that's why you can, you can sit here and say, well, I come from a very good religious background. I have perfect grades. I'm a model student, and I'm a model worker, and yada, yada, yada. And you can look to your right and see a guy that says, man, you won't believe what I did last night. But I'm so God, glad God saves me. And I, I want to draw near to God with you, so let's do this together, right? It's such good news to draw near. It's something that you do. It's like, man, if you have kids, you know. It's like, you know, Christmas Day, you give a gift. They open it. They didn't have to earn the gift. Like we gave my kids this amazing gift because we love them because they're our children. And so they open the gift like, this is the best gift ever. And the next thing, which is the greatest thing in the world, thanks, Dad. Hugs, right? They draw near to me because I gave a gift to them. I don't have to say, hold up, dude. Don't you dare give me a hug. Back away. I want to make sure that you can take that gift and operate it correctly. Like, until you ride that bike without trainer wheels, you don't get hugs from me. Right? I would never say that. I'm like, sweet pea, come here, hug me. I'm glad you like the bike. Together, I will help you ride it. And we're still working on it. It's cool, man. It's what we do. In the same way, we have confidence before God because Jesus loves us. He accepts us. And what we do with that is we draw near to God. Another, another thing we do, oh man, there's so much here. It's like let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So the, the true heart part comes back a few verses before when he quotes Jeremiah. says, hey, look, God's going to put his law on your mind, on your heart. See, your heart is changed because of God's work in you, and, and you do something with it. You express that. So you, you actively obey. You actively do stuff. By drawing near to God because you can, because he gives you a new identity. We do that together, right? Also something we do is we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is a great verse. Do you have doubts ever about your faith? Do you say, look, I want to believe in God, but if God exists, how can there be that wicked atrocity over there? How can there be famine over here? You want want to know what does it for me? I, I wrestle with this. How could there be such a wicked atrocity such as sex trafficking? How can that happen? It's happening this week. Master's week, right? Super Bowl and the Masters, two of the biggest Sporting events that have the highest rate of sex trafficking is happening half a mile down the road. What do I do with that? Like, how, how could God allow such a thing to happen? How could such wicked atrocities happen? When I think about that, man, my faith wavers a little bit. I think, God, do, do you really love your people? How could that happen? Man, if you've been around me more than two months, you know that Taken is one of the best movies ever. Liam Neeson is my hero. Liam Neeson is Aslan and Narnia, so he's, he's God, right? <laughs> he's also, like, punching wolves in another movie. And then he, like, goes after his daughter with, like, ruthless passion and love. He's like, I'm going to get my daughter. And, man, if you got in his way, you know it is just dirty, Right? And it's awesome. I haven't seen the sequels, don't really care to, because that first one just does it for me. Right? But in the, <laughs> I got way off track there. 
So with your doubts, here's, here's the good news about gospel confidence. Because I read this, I say, I want to live a life of confidence. What happens if I have doubt? Does that mean I'm not confident? Let me tell you this. When you read this verse, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Here's what you have to know. Your faith is imperfect. Your doubts will come. The thing you hold fast to is actually not how good you do your faith, but actually the object of your faith, which is the God who has promised and is faithful. You with me? If you walk in here today and you're like, man, I'm doubting Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. No judgment, no fear, no guilt, no shame. Come bring your doubts. You know why? Because I want to introduce you to him who is faithful. I don't want you to cling to a style of church or a style of preaching or a style of music or a a tradition. I want you to cling to him who is faithful. That is God. I don't want you to cling to your identity of like, well, I'm a good businessman, good teacher, good student, good whatever, good moral, smart person. I want you to cling to a God that saves good moral people and wicked, wretched, non-moral people just the same. I want you to cling to that God. We hold fast to that confession of our hope without wavering, right? I I can't even confess it properly. (laughs) I can't even tell you about the confidence that I'm trying to have because I'm imperfect, right? So we hold fast without wavering to the one who promised, the one who is faithful. We hold fast to God. We hold fast to Christ who has saved us and redeemed us, right? And that's good news. Right, This is an action that you do. I like it because it's an active thing. You, you actively hold fast. Right? You, just, you cling like for dear life because you have your confidence that he gave you, something you have, but what you do is draw near and hold fast. You with me? So you, you have confidence. It's been given to you. You have it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to chase after it. You got it. Now, with that, you say, I have my confidence. With that, I'm going to draw near to God, and I'm going to hold fast to this hope that I have in Him. And as you do that, things in your life will be shaken up. When you lose your job, or you get a pay cut, or you have marital friction, or you have friction with your children, or your parents, or your in-laws, or your neighbors, and you're like, what is going on? You hold fast to, to, to God in Christ. Right? A couple, several weeks ago, for my sweet wife's birthday, we went and saw the movie Gravity. We love movies. I love movies. And if you've seen the movie Gravity, you know that it is a 90-minute panic attack in space with an amazing soundtrack. It just freaking messed with me, man. We went and we just we splurged. Like, it's my wife's birthday. Let's go to the IMAX 3D and have a heart attack. It was unbelievable. There's stuff flying at you and you're just like, holy cow. And the music's all loud and there's explosions behind you. You're like, what is going on? It's the first time I've ever been in a theater and I didn't hear the smacking of the popcorn from the guy behind me because there was explosions. It was just so great. And what you see in that movie, the whole movie just back and forth is like, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you, but, you know, she's in space. Right? And she's like, you know, Sandra Bullock is like fastened onto the arm of this thing, and they're like doing some work. There's like, you know, five characters in the movie for the first seven minutes, and then after that it's just, you know, 
Sandra Bullock. So, you know, she's she's working on this thing. She is harnessed onto this arm because if she let, you know, if she gets unharnessed and she lets go, she's going to float off into space and you can't really, you know, in space, you just once you get going, you can't stop unless something stops you or you can't, you know, you just know that physics people. And so she's fastened, she's she's holding on to this arm of this thing and she's hooked in and she's working on this other thing, you know, this I can't even talk, like this space thing, you know, there's this metal thing that's like spacey looking, and she's putting computer things in a, is it the Hubble telescope? I don't know, but she's like working on this thing, right? And then what happens is spatial gets hit with some debris, and it starts spinning, right? And so she is locked into something that is spinning. Well, the second she lets go, she like unhooks herself, it flings her off into darkness, and there's nothing she could do. You just think right then, well, that's the end of that movie. It was a good seven minutes. See you, you know. And she's flying out into space, flipping, spinning. There's nothing she could do to stop herself. And so what happens in the same way when we, when we are like hooked in, so to speak, with our faith, we hang tight, we cling close to Jesus, man, because if we are hooked into anything else, Something's going to happen to cause it spinning, and then we don't know what to do, so we just let go, and we get flung out of here. We just don't, we don't even know where we're going anymore, right? Like you, you're hooked into your job, your job gets hit with space debris, so to speak, and you start spinning. You're like, I just can't take it. You're gone. The good news is we are holding fast. If we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who was promised is faithful. If the object of our faith is Christ, we are secure. There's no shuttle debris. There's no spinning and flipping and explosions. We are secure. Unwavering means don't let go, man. Christ is the only solid object of hope ever. If you put your hope in anything else, no matter how hooked in you are to that faith, something's going to happen. It's going to spin. It's going to get flipped. And that's what I want us to know, because time and time again, I run into people who think faith to be a spiritual gospel person is to have strong faith. And I'm telling you, if you put your hope in your faith, how how well you faith, faith is a verb, it's something you do. If you put your confidence in how well you believe and how well you do this spiritual stuff, you are hooked into a shuttle that's eventually going to start flipping. You can't put your confidence in how well you think theology. You can't put your confidence in how well you do Christian things. You can't put your faith in how, you can't put your hope in the faith expression of how how spiritual you can be because in the end, those things can get flipped upside down. But you you put your hope and confidence in the object of your faith. We have to know that. We have to put our hope and confidence in in Christ. We have to. I mean, you just have to. And it can be a sloppy confidence. You can just be like, I just, I don't, I don't get it, but I'm just going to cling to Christ. That's what I want you to do. I want you to walk out of here and say, Jeremy, I don't even know how to spell theology, man. I don't even, 90% of what you said, I didn't even understand except for the gravity part and then the part about Jesus loves me. Great, you've got it. You can actually forget the gravity part. Just 
Remember the Jesus loves you part and cling to Christ because the confidence you have is not in how well you do faith, but rather the object of your faith. Confidence in a gracious God who loves you. Confidence in a solid gospel in a very wavering world where even the good things will start flipping. Cling to Christ. So to have a life of gospel confidence is upward with a new identity together as God's family, God's house, looking to him and saying, now that we have this confidence in who he is, and we have this upward confidence in him, what are we going to do with it? We are going to draw near to God, and we are going to hold fast to this truth as we move forward. And we need to unhook and not cling to anything else or anyone else but Christ. Right? Lastly, so we have an upward and an onward expression of this confidence. And then lastly, and this is so important, and we can't forget this part, is we have an outward expression of gospel confidence. There are other people who are walking a life of faith with you. There are other people who actually maybe aren't walking a life of faith, but they're in your life, and they need to hear the gospel. In fact, I submit to you, everybody is walking some life of faith. Even an atheist who says, there is no God, that is such a confident profession of faith if I've ever heard one. <laughs> so for somebody to say, I don't believe in God, is like, well, that's your faith. You know? You're putting your faith in that fact. So we have an outward expression encouraging to others, listen to all this stuff. And so good, let us... And, okay, I love it, and. So you, you can't say, well, I have my new identity in Christ, and I'm just going to do everything and obey and just try to hold fast and draw near to God, which means I need to cut off all. I was watching this thing last night on Nightline about this church in Texas that has such separation theology. They just believe that if you're going to be part of your church, you sever ties with everybody, right? It's a cult. It's a cult with a bunch of 20-year-old guys that, had a bad experience in seminary or something. And they go and start this little church and they're, they're ripping people away from their families and saying, you can't talk to anybody unless they are part of our little cult, right? That is nowhere biblical because the writer of Hebrews, I mean, first of all, Jesus just right and left was serving people that never followed him. He fed thousands. And if you read Jesus is like feeding 5,000, What's the next couple verses after that? Him and a couple people leave and go like worship the Lord. Thousands of people ate with Jesus and they didn't follow him, right? He still served them. In this passage, we see, hey, you have a new identity upward to God. We have a new confession we are holding fast to. We are holding fast to this hope. We are drawing near. We are doing these things. Verse 24, a big word. And, and also, you also with that and... Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the time as you see the day drawing near. Wow, there's so much in there. You know, your journey of faith is not a solo sport. It is a group activity that we all get to get all in on. And it's sloppy and it's fun and somebody may hurt your feelings, but it's okay because you're clinging to who? Jesus, right? You're not clinging to how well your church is doing church. You're clinging to Jesus, right? I mean, you have to because your church may fail you at some point. Somebody may hurt your feelings. I probably will say something stupid from this stage. We may play a song that you used to like, but we play it the wrong way. You know, somebody in your missional community may just not do something for you. I don't know. 
But scripture says we are to do certain things together outward. What's one of those things? It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir up really means to provoke. It means to like say, hey, it looks like to poke somebody into like, stop. Okay, I'll do it. It means to, with all graciousness, irritate you into doing something with your faith. That's really what it means. And I like that because I'm good at being irritating. I just need to do so with gospel grace. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right? To stir up toward good works. Love and good works. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. It's a commitment. Good works are a display of that. Time and time again, we talk about the great analogy of marriage. You can't just say, honey, I do, and I love you, and disengage for the rest of your life. You have to say, I do. I'm marrying you. Here's a ring. Now let me show you how much I love you. And then you spend the rest of your life committing your actions and motivations to serve your family to the glory of God and to their joy and their benefit. So marriage is, people. And most of you all know that. Okay, good works are a display. Love is not only a, it's not a feeling, it's an action, it's a commitment that you do. And so we together with this new upward identity, with this onward hopeful obedience and drawing near to the Lord and, and holding fast this confession, we consider how we together are stirring up one another to love, to good works, to display not in our words only, but also in our actions. We serve one another to the glory of God for each other's joy and benefit and for the gospel to advance to a lost and dying world. And so here at Redemption Church, we look at this and we say, well, how do we do this? You know, here's a verse that's often been thrown around. You know, I'm not going to guilt you into this, but verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some. Um, you know, that was always the verse you point to if people hadn't come to church in a while. So, hey, you haven't been coming to church. And the Bible says not to neglect meeting together. I'm not going to throw that guilt trip on you. We don't keep attendance here. You're not going to get a report card at the end of the year. We're not going to stand up and give you a ribbon if you never miss a Sunday in a year. I hope that you don't. It'd be great. But I miss Sundays. It's all good. What that verse means is that we corporately gather together routinely to celebrate who God is, what he's done for us, and then in turn who we are with our new identity, moving onward with our faith and moving outward to serve each other and to serve a community, a city, a culture that doesn't know the Lord. We do so, no strings attached. We are going to have monumental opportunities in the coming months, friends. God has been gracious enough in his kindness and awesome sense of humor to give us a building at 930 Broad Street. It's an amazing location. Our identity is not in the building. Our hope is not in that building. That building is not the end-all, be-all of Redemption Church. It is a tool that the Lord is giving us to steward, to serve the city, to grow disciples, and to just glorify God with everything that happens there. We're going to have worship gatherings there. We will have classes there. There are opportunities on the horizon for us to have art events cultural events, music events, stuff that that from the outside you're like, that has nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, it's not really, is it a church art event? No, it's a community art event. But 
due to the location that that building is, it is opening up a huge opportunity for us to connect with non-believers so that we outward can can engage the Christian community to stir up to love and good works so that through our good works and love, others can see how good God is. I mean, that's, that's our goal. We, we want to say we're not we, we have a, a purpose for existing and a purpose for meeting together in that location that is beyond the location itself. We want to stir up one another to love and good works. We want to love one another as brothers and sisters, but we want to love the lost community, those who just don't know the Lord, people who are hurting, people who are finding confidence in their work and not in their identity as God's child. People who are finding confidence in their schooling and not in God's child. People who, when those things collapse, will be spinning off in space saying, somebody rescue me, my world has been distraught. You know, you just, you know anybody you work with or go to school with, there's going to be a crisis. And what happens when people start spinning off in a crisis, they're like, I need somebody to throw me a rope. Friends, we have the only rope. <laughs> we, we have it. We've got the only hope for humanity. For the young lady who maybe is abandoned by her husband and now she has to raise kids with no money. And maybe the guy who loses his job after working a place for a long time and now he can't provide for his family. For the relationships that are falling apart right and left. People are saying, somebody, please, for the love, throw me a line. Throw me some good news. Somebody. All the while, people are hooking into other things that eventually just start spinning off a different direction out in space. Friends, George Clooney is not going to rescue you. I mean, you were gone unless Christ does something. And guess what? We have this good news to steward. And so, friends, it is my hope and prayer that we can encourage one another, that we can stir up one another. Man, that word encourage... I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson because the word parakalete, parakaleo, it means to, to, to call out and call together alongside of. It's the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and encourager and counselor. It's the Holy Spirit who, who makes your mind understand the truth of God. It's the whole, if you are a Christian, you are a Christian because the Holy Spirit has taken your dead heart and made it beat with life so that you can believe Christ. Okay, And so for Scripture to, to use that same word to describe what we are to do, it is not saying that you and I are the Holy Spirit. But it is saying as vessels of the Holy Spirit, as God's dwelling place, as God's house, right? Spirit of God dwells in his house. He's dwelling with us. First Corinthians says that, that God's spirit dwells with his people, that we are his temple, that we are Christ's body, that we have an opportunity as, as to encourage, to stir up, to counsel those who need counsel, to comfort those who need comfort, to, to encourage those who need encouragement, to help bring the truth to bear on people's hearts and minds. Right? It's so amazing. I'm so excited. You know what? If our confidence is in our style or technique or education, we should just quit today. We have nothing to offer anybody. But if we hold fast to the confidence that is Christ who is unwavering and Christ who is faithful, man, that's some good news I can get on board with. I'll go embarrass myself to the glory of God for that. Right? We can, we can go do some, some fun, wicked, crazy, cool stuff for the glory of God. It'll be great joy for us. It'll be beneficial to the city and to the community. Anybody with me?
That would be awesome. So what I'm asking you to do is this. As we look at gospel confidence, understanding that we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. We hold fast to God in Christ who is faithful. And because of that, we have gospel confidence in our lives. That means that we have confidence That means that we, with that confidence, can draw near to God together, and we can hold fast together, and that means outward we stir up one another, we encourage one another to love, to, to commit and just love and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, to commit and love and serve a broken world, People that, people that you will meet in your job and in your school and in your neighborhood and your family. I, I just hope and pray right now people are popping in your mind. I just pray that God has given you like, man, I know this guy at work who's so discouraged. Guess what? You can encourage him. Go parakaleo that guy tomorrow. Don't tell him that's what you're doing. But like, what? Get off me. You know? I'd like to parakaleo you, uh, security. You know? Go encourage somebody for the glory of God. Stir up somebody for love and good works. We can go comfort those who are afflicted. Man, they are, there are hundreds and hundreds of people I know who are just needing comfort, man. They need to feel loved and accepted because they feel rejected all over the map. They're rejected at work, at home. They're rejected in church. But you know what? You can come here. We're not going to reject you because, man, I, I, all I have is confidence in Christ. I don't have confidence to give you anything other than Jesus. So I can point you to him, and we could just bring our broken dirt and trash, and just oh, we'll give you coffee and a donut and Jesus, and that's, that's it. That's all you need. So with that, I'll just close in prayer, and um, that's what I'll do. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, I thank you that you are a gracious, loving Father, that we are your people. God, I thank you that... You, as a loving Father, pursue your wayward children, and God, that in Christ we can have confidence in the good news that you have rescued us and saved us. God, I pray that we will indeed hold fast to our confession, that our hope will not be in how well we do faith, how well we do life, how well we, are more, how well we do morality, or how smart we are, or any of that, God, or how relational we are. God, I just pray that we will cling to you, Jesus, knowing that you indeed are our only hope that you are our lifeline that we cannot cling to anything else because ultimately it will flip upside down and we will feel spinning flipping out in darkness and so god i thank you that you are a good gracious god that you have made promises and you were faithful with those promises so god i pray that you would stir up our hearts and minds to belief god that we would repent of sin and wickedness and cling to you that we would repent of fear and doubts and guilt and shame and cling to you because you were faithful because you were good to your people. God, I pray that as you give us confidence, we will, we will have that confidence. I know you, you say you give it to us. It's something we have. So, God, when we have confidence, Lord, I pray for those who are not Christians, that you will give them faith, belief in Christ, and give them that confidence, that assurance, that they don't need a good resume to be loved by their Heavenly Father. And that that confidence would resonate with them. And God, for those who are Christians, I pray that we would have an awakening of this confidence that we have. And that we would not steward it lightly. 
God, I pray for all of us to draw near to you with confidence, that we would actively be doing that as you are drawing us into yourself. And God, I pray that we would hold fast actively as we combat sin and lies and doubts. God, as we go home to our families and neighborhoods, as we go to work or school tomorrow, and we start battling those lies and doubts about our self-worth being wrapped up in our job or our self-worth being wrapped up in our uh, our relationships or how much money we have in the bank. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just knock that out of our minds and let us have great confidence in who you are and what you've done for us. And God, likewise, I pray that this good news would light us up to a degree that we do something with it. God, that you would use us in each other's lives to encourage one another in our faith and our belief. God, that you would encourage us to deal with brokenness and sin and that we would do so with such grace and such joy. And God, that we would be those who can comfort those who need comforting and counsel those who need counsel. And God, that we can encourage those that need encouragement. And God, that we can, in each other's lives, impress this good news on our hearts and minds. God, I pray that you would do that through us for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would go from this place out to the nations, we ask in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Amen.